0: is we do have a new life group that is going to be starting on the first Wednesday in October. Uh, Jeff and Suzanne Long are going to be leading that. We're really excited about that, uh, and really it's for anybody who wants to be in it, but if you have kiddos, the, the great thing about that Wednesday night group is that there's going to be child care uh, for, you know, zero to 18. Uh, for, with our youth ministry, Connect Kids, and we'll even have some nursery available. So if you've been wanting to connect to a group, uh, we've talked about kind of the struggle and not having enough groups. Well, we have a group That we are going to get started here in a few weeks So if you're interested in that Would you email us at connect At crossroad.live and we will get you Connected, All right, you'll see some more Info about that online this week So we're here in Colossians 2 Continuing this series Rooted and and so excited about this Text, it's uh, awesome and I'm just Have all week been fired up To preach it to you today Uh, But one of the things that I've been excited about In this season outside of God's work in our church uh, Is football anybody else like yeah some of y'all are too excited we'll talk about idolatry next week uh, but man college football has been a lot of fun like the last couple of weeks uh, like you can find me on on a lot of Saturdays yesterday was a little busier than normal but I will be there with whatever book I'm reading sermon I'm studying and just with a game on in the background and it's just I love it I love Saturdays in the fall I love college football and I know a lot of you guys too Uh, But I wanted to kind of start with the college football story. Some of you are familiar with Auburn, Alabama, and at the corners of Magnolia Street and College Street, you will find what is known as Toomer's Corner. And this is a place where there's these beautiful live oak trees there and for over a hundred years when the Auburn football team wins a game They go and vandalize these trees because in some reason that's a good idea, right? Because it's college kids, right? Uh, So they go and would wrap these trees every single Auburn victory. That was kind of what they did Well, I don't know if you know this but sometimes there are these very intense college rivalries, no, y'all don't know anything about that, K-State and Kansas fans in the room, all right? Uh, don't know anything about college rivalries. But, but there is this rivalry, and there, there is uh, kind of a, a guy who is known in the, the folklore of Alabama football fandom named Harvey Updike. And in 2011, things got a little bit intense with this college football rivalry. Uh, He hated Auburn so much so, uh, he called a radio show and started to explain all the reasons that he didn't like them, all the terrible things, and at the end of this phone call on live radio, Updike claimed to have poisoned the live oak trees at Toomer's Corner. Well, they went and investigated, and sure enough, these trees were dying this dude had taken some dangerous herbicide and gone and poisoned these trees don't worry if you're an Auburn fan justice was served a grown man in his 60s had to go to jail for six months because he poisoned trees over a game that a bunch of teenagers were playing with a ball (laughs) right blows my mind that that's something that actually happened but I want to tell you this morning that the most fierce college rivalry has absolutely nothing on the hatred between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Christ and this isn't a radio show and I'm not placing any kind of weird calls today but what I do want to do is alert you to the reality that a dangerous poison has been placed within the local church And it's dangerous because it doesn't come with massive warning labels. In fact, many of us are actively participating in what is slowly bringing death to the body of Christ. And we wouldn't realize it today, but the enemy of God, Satan himself, is rejoicing at the internal collapse that is happening in the church across the West. What is this poison? Well, you probably have some ideas It's woke, it's this, it's that It's whatever that Christian radio show was telling me about last week No, can I tell you what the great poison is? Empty religion Empty religion Last week, we saw Paul warning us of the danger of the spirit of the age, and it is a real danger. Worldly philosophies, worldly living can stop us from being rooted in Christ, but today, Paul is going to warn us of the danger of empty religion and how this poison will kill us if we don't root it out. So, uh, really, today, what we're going to discover is that getting rooted requires that we root out the poison of empty religion. Let's get to the word and let the Lord teach us as we continue walking through this letter. For those of you who aren't familiar, uh, for several months now, we've taken some breaks along the way, but we've been walking through the book of Colossians together. So we find ourselves not by accident, but by the Lord's direction here in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16. The word of the Lord says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about their visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come to a complicated text, but Lord, I think for me at least, as I studied and prepared, as I understood it more, it was more challenging than complicated. So God, I pray that in your loving mercy you would come to us and show us what this means and help us to be challenged in such a way that we change so that we can be who it is you want us to be don't let us be a people who are held captive by the worldly philosophies the hollow and deceptive philosophies of the world or the hollow and deceptive empty religion god we thank you for what you're going to do it's in your name we pray amen Well, we've seen in the book of Colossians how Paul has worked to establish very clearly the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Supremacy means that he rules and reigns over everything, and sufficiency is to say that he is all that we need. Yet there's constantly this weird temptation that we have in the world to add things to Jesus. So again last week Paul warns us of these hollow and deceptive philosophies of the world The idea is that yeah, Jesus is great. Jesus is awesome We, we uh, want to believe in him and go to church and do all that stuff But we also need a really good job We, we also need to have a great relationship. We also need success. We also need something else If we're really going to be content if we're really going to be happy if we're really going to be whole then we need these other things so we said it this way, the spirit of the age happens any time we seek to find contentment outside of Jesus. The spirit of the age happens any time we seek to find contentment outside of Christ. So after talking about the danger of the spirit of the age, Paul today is going to turn to the danger of empty religion. And here's the big truth today. Empty religion happens any time we seek to find our righteousness outside of Christ so the spirit of the age is us trying to find our uh, contentment outside of jesus empty religion says find your righteousness your goodness your spiritual quality outside of christ church you need to know that is an empty pursuit it's an empty pursuit paul's gone to great lengths already to explain the gospel to us that the only hope of righteousness we have is Christ's righteousness being imputed to us. Yes, I just used the word imputed. It's a theological term. It means given to us, moved to our account. Look at verse 14. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Last week we studied that phrase and we said that all of us owed a debt. Like the ledger of our lives showed that we were sinners. And because of our sin, every single one of us deserved death. And when we say death, we mean eternal death, spiritual death, being separated from the God who created us and loved us and wanted to have a relationship with us. But the gospel says that Jesus paid our debt through his death on the cross. But not only did he pay our debt, the Bible says that when he came back to life victorious over sin and death, when God raised him up, that when we call on him, not only is our sin transferred or imputed to Christ, but Christ's righteous life is imputed to us. Theologians call this double imputation. You had no idea we were going there today, but you're getting theological this morning put in simple terms and this should be an astounding truth for us friends when we stand before God if we have any hope of being righteous and holy before him the only hope we have is the gospel if your standing with God is based on you and your morals friends you are doomed you're doomed Several of you shared an article on social media this week that says that there are a third of pastors in the U.S. I'm going to put pastors in quotes because I have other names for them, but I'm just going to not use them. A third of pastors think that you can go to heaven through good works. A third of pastors are idiots. Is this being streamed right now? Hey, guys. None of y'all are watching, but if you're watching, come on. Read your Bibles. The only hope you have, if you stand before Almighty God one day and you try to show Him your resume of goodness, good luck what the Bible says is that your very best deeds, like the thing you would point to, like if you died and went to heaven or standing before God and he said, why should I let you in? And you handed him your spiritual resume. I'm not talking about all your, you know, the things you have accumulated that you feel like have added up good points for you. That one deal that you would point at that is at the top of the resume say, this is it. Look at what I did. That thing the Bible says is as filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God god romans 3 so clearly puts it quoting the old testament there are none who are righteous no not one it doesn't matter if you went to church it doesn't matter who your mom and dad are it doesn't matter what you say you believe if you stand before god based on your own goodness friends you are doomed But the good news of the gospel is that when you give your life to Jesus, he gives us his righteousness. So when we stand before God, he doesn't see me for my sin, my guilt, and my shame. Instead, he looks at me and he sees Jesus. And because of that, friends, I am righteous and holy before God. That's the good news of the gospel. Yet if we're not careful, because here's the thing, I know how we work as good church people we're like amen i'm glad he's preaching this fantastic doctrinal message and you all agree but it's dangerous there's a poison that is seeped in and we can say we believe the gospel but the reality is when you look at our lives we start adding things to it And this is what the false teachers were doing in Colossae. While the world was promoting these hollow and deceptive philosophies, these false teachers were peddling empty and hollow religion. Friends, religion will not save you, only Jesus can save you. If your answer when I ask you, tell me about how you came to know Jesus, is, I grew up in the church, friends, you do not know my Savior. I say it over and over, and it's it's a trite and old saying, but being in the church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in the garage makes you a car. Do you know Jesus today? I don't care if you've been here for 20 years. I don't care if you've been in church your entire life. Have you encountered the Savior in a life-changing way? And if you have, the question would become, why in the world would you need anything else or try to add to it at all? This is what we tend to find happening. Religion is similar to the spirit of the age in the way it deceives us. So I want to look at this text closely and consider empty religion. I'm praying that God will just expose these tendencies in our heart, because I think we all fall into these from time to time. The first danger of empty religion Paul points to is rules over relationships. Rules over relationship. In other words, we're talking about legalism. Look at verse 16 again. Paul writes, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now we don't know exactly what the nature of this false teaching was that was going on in Colossae but these verses would certainly make you think that it was similar to what was happening in Galatia Where, if you remember, Paul was dealing with a group that we know as the Judaizers, these Jewish believers who had been saved by grace through faith, but then were trying to add some of their Jewish customs to what it meant to follow Jesus. So they would say, yes, you're saved, praise the Lord, but also you need to do these things if you really are a God-fearing, Christ-following person. And Paul is just going to say, no in fact last week's message we had that section in the text that talked about circumcision that was very likely targeted at these false teachers part of the claim is that they were saying uh listen if you're really a believer then you need to be circumcised and paul says explicitly here and also in galatians no the works of the law will not save you only jesus and his work on the cross the law will not save you friends it's not to say that the law is useless in fact in verse 17 paul says these are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to christ y'all can i tell you what the the law functions as we we read this in romans and galatians among other places in the new testament the law was there to expose our need for jesus The law is given to us by God and let me just tell you, if you want to go to the Old Testament law and say, all right, I'm going to do it, I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to follow every one of these commands in the affirmative and the positive, I'm going to do them all, can I tell you what you're going to find very quickly? You cannot. You will come up short. So the law of God really exposed our sin and our shortcoming. It helps us know that we are lost and in need of a savior. And when we come to Christ, you need to know that the moment you are saved, you are free from the law. But hear me when I say this, this doesn't mean that we forsake it completely. Instead, the law moves from being a burden to being a great delight for those of us who are in Christ. When we look at the law before we know Jesus, it just reminds us of how short we fall. But when we look at the law after Jesus, it shows us God's design and God's best for our lives. And we want to delight in the word of the Lord and the law of the Lord because we know that in following his law, it is his best for us. But these false teachers kept holding up various aspects of the ceremonial and civil law that was already fulfilled in Christ. I don't want to get lost on this aside, but I need you to hear this, especially young adults in the room, because here's what progressive, so-called progressive Christians will do. They go to Deuteronomy and they're like, oh, the verse right beside homosexuality says not to eat shellfish, and they do all of this. Here's what you need to know, there's three types of law. We have the ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law that we have contained in the Old Testament. Christ perfectly fulfilled the ceremonial laws. And if you need more details on that, read the book of Hebrews and get you an awesome commentary. Because it's dense. Maybe get you a Jewish believer to help you understand everything that's going on there. Jesus completely fulfilled the ceremonial law we are not bound to that anymore the civil law was really the governing laws for the people of God but the moral law still stands explain that to them they don't care because they don't really care they just want to deceive you okay sorry uh, tell your TikTok influencer that I said that they don't care about you you watch their video and they're good they got paid Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the civil and ceremonial law, yet these false teachers were holding up parts of that and saying, if you really want to be a believer, you need these things. This is what makes you right with God. The text specifically points to diets and days. Eating certain things, not eating other things, worshiping the right festivals and feasts on these days. By and large, that's not, just, that's not really a struggle for us, is it? I love what Pastor Alistair Begg says about this He said legalism always has a cultural face So for the Colossians in the early ADs Legalism revolved around diets and days for us today Legalism looks different But I would say to you that there are literally unwritten rules That for some reason have become equivalent to the written law of God's word in our culture And they're absolutely nowhere to be found and I'm going to name a couple just to try to get in trouble this morning. Think about the issue of alcohol. The Bible has much to say on wisdom and how we should approach alcohol. We shouldn't be flippant and casual with the way we do it, but nowhere does it prohibit the consumption of alcohol. Think about musical preferences and style of worship. The Bible says nothing about style of music, yet there are many who rate a church's spiritual vitality based on the music. This is a moving target because culture is a moving target, but I think about the way we dress. Like, I know that we're pretty laid back here. One of my friends this morning said, I'm not dressed for church today. And I was like, I'm never dressed for church come up here during the week and you're like what's going on man you got a basketball game later i'm like yes you want to play right like culturally though that's a moving target can i just tell y'all i grew up in a church and i know that i'm getting and sounding older and older every day but i'm not that old stop laughing (laughs) i'm not that 20 years from now i'm gonna be i'm not that old listen to me though I grew up in a church where we weren't even allowed to wear shorts on a Wednesday night like my buddies we would we would have to pack a pair of jeans in our backpack so after basketball practice we could put on jeans to go to youth group and then they'd have us like playing some stupid game like kickball or something in jeans it was legalism it was legalism we could go on and on, but, but this legalism is the idea that we have to do or maintain some outward behavior or action in order to make ourselves right with the Lord. But friends, righteousness will not be found in rules. It's found in Christ and a real relationship with Him. So don't tell me how good you are if you want to tell me about your spiritual condition. Tell me about how good your Savior is. But certainly, when you know how good God is, it's going to change the way you live. And I I promise, you want to change the morality of the friends in your life? Start living like Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done for you, man, it'll change people. Paul continues in our text to point to another danger, and another danger of empty religion is experience over truth experience over truth in verse 18 Paul writes let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind these false teachers in Colossae weren't only teaching legalism this rigid rule keeping but they also suggested that to truly know Jesus then truly knowing Jesus would be accompanied by visions and dynamic experience, especially of the ecstatic type. There are some people today in the modern church who would say that if you really know Jesus, then that means you must speak in tongues or have some sort of dynamic experience. But Paul would say in the word very clearly, don't let anyone disqualify you on the basis of these things. Really what we're talking about here is mysticism. And while it looks a lot different today Than it did in Colossae I think the American church is riddled with this And you can see this today In the way that the modern church Arranges their worship services In fact we don't even call them Worship services anymore you know, Church used to be a worship service Where we come to worship God You know what we call it now? It's a worship experience We've called it that here in the past But what that subtly has done is is made worship not about God, but about us. Hey, come experience something. Man, I'm telling you, if you arrange the chords just right and hit all the right parts, we can create an emotional experience inside of you. I think there are a lot of big, big churches and and recording artists in the Christian industry who have figured that formula out, and they're throwing hit after hit after hit at you. But when you sit back and listen to the lyrics that you're singing And think about the lyrics you're singing Much of it is what Paul would call hollow and empty Void of real substance, the truth of scripture and theology But I'm not just talking about music It's really just this idea of experience Last week I I talked to you and tried to warn you of the danger Of making the Holy Spirit like the chief emotional officer But that's how many of us tend to operate with the Holy Spirit. It's like when we have a powerful experience, we say things like, the Holy Spirit sure was present today. But I'm afraid that much of our search for experience is more pagan than it is biblical. Y'all, the Holy Spirit is not in charge of the warm fuzzies. He's in charge of communicating God's truth to our hearts. Do not find your righteousness in experiences and moments all the while neglecting truth. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Christianity is strictly a cerebral thing and an intellectual. That's not what I'm saying. Imagine how dry your spiritual life be if there was never a moment where you were lifted up in worship and when you thought of the gospel that there was even an emotional response. These are moments that the Lord certainly uses as we worship, as we get in His Word, and even in life circumstances that encourage us in a special way. But Paul is very clearly saying that these experiences are not where we find evidence of our spiritual condition or our righteousness. And the problem is, when we do that and start sharing those experiences with everybody else, can I tell you what happens to your brothers and sisters? They think, I guess that that I'm not spiritual enough to have that experience. I guess I need to go to this charismatic church and get them to teach me how to pray in tongues. That's always a little weird to me, but we won't talk about that. Listen, friends. I've seen it over and over and over again when people leave a church because they're not literally have said things like this feeling it anymore i just don't feel like the lord moves like he used to in our church so i'm going to go somewhere else then we find another church and when we stop feeling it there we go to another church and we've learned how to clothe this experiential language with religious clothing and make it sound really super spiritual but ultimately we're just chasing energy and experiences and to show and I want to make this really clear, friends. Yeah, we, we talked about music earlier, but this goes way beyond that. It's really a fake spirituality that's driven by experience and not truth. And this fake spirituality will drive us completely off the rails of orthodox Christianity. And some of you will be upset just that I've said as much as I've said right now. You know why? Because we live in a culture where experience always trumps truth. You know how I know this? I'm a pastor, and I will preach a message. Like, the Bible will be so plain, you can't even say, well, that's your interpretation, pastor. Like, no, like, it says it plain as day. And people will come up to me after the service and say, you know, I don't agree with you, pastor. And I'll say, why? And you know what inevitably follows that moment? A story. Well, this happened to me or this person or that person or the, it's a story and you may be thinking wow Pastor Rusty do you really think that you have the right to question somebody's personal experience yes especially if it goes against what we find in the word of God and especially if people are using that experience to according to verse the, here in the text disqualify others because they're not as spiritual as they are by all means question away we are not mystics feeling our way through this world friends we are disciples being led by the holy spirit as he instructs us through god's word i'm going to move on from that you're welcome the last danger we find in this text is the danger of sacrifice over obedience. This one hurts too. In verse 23, Paul references asceticism and severity to the body. But earlier in that verse, I love that he just calls it what it is. You see what he said there? Self-made religion. We kind of get in a contest to see who is more holy based on who does more for Jesus. You ever been in one of those competitions? Everybody loses. Well, I mean, I'm serving so much, doing so many things, I'm giving so much. This text is talking about people who would literally injure their bodies in the name of spirituality, in the name of the Lord. Paul goes against that nonsense multiple times, by the way, in the New Testament. We may not deal with that so much today, but I do think that there are a lot of people who are stuck in this cycle of trying to work ourselves into the Lord's favor. Man, i got to tell you guys, I know this from experience because I've been there. Have you ever been Martha and then you're mad at all the Marys who are sitting at the feet of Jesus? <laughs> right? You're like, psh, you people. Right? But ultimately, the Lord would say, she's doing the right thing. But we're mad about it because no one else is doing enough. i got to tell you, in pastoral ministry, I've had multiple opportunities when, when brothers or sisters were being unkind to one another that I've had to just try to lovingly confront them and almost inevitably the first thing that they bring up is, well, don't you know how much I'm doing? Don't you know how much I'm serving? Like how much I'm just trying to pour myself out? Friends, I want to tell you that is the heart of someone who is trying to find their righteousness in sacrifice. And I catch myself with that heart all the time. The Lord isn't looking for more sacrifice. He's looking for obedience. We say it this way, it's not about what you do, but it's about who you are. And once you get that straight, then yeah, do serve as the Lord calls you, but serve the Lord with gladness and joy. When we know who we are, we're free to live out our identity, an identity that's firmly rooted in Christ. Christ so we've talked about three dangers first we have rules over relationship We have experience over truth and finally we talked about sacrifice over obedience so these are the dangers the symptoms if you will the question would become what is the antidote the spoiler alert is that i already preached this last week the antidote to the spirit of the age is the same as the antidote of empty religion friends it's jesus christ And we could go back to the text that I preached last week, and I kind of want to because I love it so much. Man, there's a lot of good stuff there. But there's a verse that we read that you maybe just scanned over as we were getting to these things that I think does a great job of painting a picture. Look at verse 19. Paul is actually talking about those who are relying on empty religion. So he says they're not doing this. So if we're not relying on empty religion, then we should be doing this, right? Makes sense. So let's pick up in verse 19, after the word not. So do you see why we're doing this now? The empty religion people are not doing this. We don't want to be the empty religion people. So we do want to do what verse 19 says. Holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from god oh brothers and sisters that's the church growth strategy we've been looking for we don't have to crank up the experience oh meter we we don't have to get better programs and better things going on if we want to grow into a church that the lord wants us to be If we want to be growing disciples, if we want to build a growing church, we don't need to rely on rule keeping. We don't need to try to drum up experiences. We don't need to work really hard to try to impress God. Instead, the call is to look up. And to hold fast to Jesus, who is the head of the church. And as we all hold fast to Jesus together, an incredible thing happens. We begin to be transformed all the way to like the nitty-gritty details, like the ligaments and the joints. We are growing in every single part of who we are. And when the whole body of Christ is rooted together into the deep things of God, we grow I love that the text says This is a growth that is from God I want to just throw this out there There is a growth that is not of God Oh it's so tempting To want to grow the, the wrong way To take the shortcuts Y'all we're 20 years into this thing We're a little church By being a growing movement for two decades Oh but can I tell you Doing the right things Takes time. Only God can do this sort of thing. But this is the growth we need. This is the growth we want. And this can happen if we all individually and corporately root ourselves in Christ. When we say we don't need the worldly philosophies of our culture, we don't need religion, we don't need religious performance and the poison of empty religion. Just let our lives be rooted in Jesus. Let us know and grow in him. Let us root ourselves in his word. And when we do, brothers and sisters, watch out. Because God stands ready to grow us in ways that we never expected. Next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating our 20-year birthday, anniversary, whatever you want to call it. And I got to tell you, I know I've only been here for four years, which, you know, is a relatively long percentage when your church is only 20 years old. But the story of this church is pretty inexplicable. We'll share some stuff next Sunday night at the birthday party, but I just got to tell you, we have no business being here in the position we are today. Sure, the Lord has given us many talented and skilled leaders and people who have come in, even people who've gone on uh, to be with the Lord and gone on other places. God has used people in unique ways, and certainly we're thankful for each and every one of you and every one of them. But the reality is, I I know you well enough to know, I know me well enough to know, that the only one who can get credit for this thing is Jesus. But I also know from reading the book of Revelation That it's possible for The lampstand to be removed That if we root ourselves In anything other than Jesus We are destined to fail Brothers and sisters May we be a people holding fast to the head So that every single one of us Can be growing deeper in him Closer to one another So that we can be celebrating 20 years from now What God has done Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it brings to us. God, I, I pray that you would help this to sink in. Lord, there's there's so much here that, that I know my brothers and sisters are maybe like me. Maybe their heads and hearts are spinning as they try to find out what you're saying to them. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just let your word sink deep into our hearts and our minds. God, give us time today to process your word and think about what it means for us. But Lord, ultimately, the call is that we would not rely on religious performance, but instead would remember your gospel. So Lord, I pray that even now in this moment, that we would just be a people who come to the cross and remember what you did for us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for speaking to us.